The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. celebration for them um, just to see God moving in their midst and growing. And we're hearing these stories across our state of God doing amazing things. Um, similarly, at Bundaberg, at Easter time, um, they baptized six people. Three of them came from online, people who were watching online. And, and this is an amazing thing. We thought COVID was something that was going to hinder the growth of the gospel, didn't we? We thought it was a ploy of the devil. No, it wasn't. It was God's plan. Because online church has opened up the opportunity for people to engage, and there are more and more people walking in off the streets to our churches, finding Jesus Christ, getting baptized, starting a journey with Him. Um, God is on mission, and it's an exciting time to be in our churches. And I hope that as I mingle after the service, that you can tell me some stories about what God is doing in North Pine here. Because he's here, isn't he? He is? Good. good. I, I just want to be secular and come to the right place. Uh, God is here and God is moving because God is on mission. God has a mission, hasn't he? And, and this is what we're talking about in this month um, of May. God's mission and what's happening. But I don't want you just to get locked into the thinking that mission is just about what's happening outside or overseas. That is mission. And we want to be focusing on the stories of that this month. But mission is also happening in your background. Because you're called to mission, you're still playing it with some praying kids. Um, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? What are the two things you need to master to be good at mission? What's the time, Mr. Wolf? Two things. How to run. So you have to be quick. You need to know how to move. What's the other thing? Effective in this game. Um, being still is a really important thing for kids to learn, isn't it? Another great game for letting kids or teaching kids how to be still is dead ends. Have you ever played that? I know a lot of teachers um, play dead ends with their kids all the time. The whole concept is they go lie on the floor and pretend to be a dead end. No noise, no movement. So a lot of teachers, when they just need some peace and quiet, say to the kids, hey, let's play dead ends. Lie on the ground, be still, be quiet. I'll come back in half an hour. No, I don't think, well, maybe they do. Is there any teachers here? Uh, I hope that's not what too many teachers do. Um, but 
material is a really important thing to learn when you're playing what's the time is the wood. But these things are opposite, aren't they? Being still and then moving quickly. They're opposite. You can't do them at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. You can't be still while you're moving, and you can't move while you're being still. But these two things, which seem to be opposite, are vital in this game. And as it is in the game of what's the time, Mr. Wolf, these two things, stillness and movement, are actually vital in mission work. They're vital in the work that we're called to as disciples of Jesus Christ to be missional, to be about his calling, to be about his mission. See, Jesus was incredibly good at both of these things. They were keys for him being effective in the work that God had sent him to do on this earth. And so when we're kicking off this mission month um, today, I want to open up a passage today um, and look at these two things. What does it take to be still? And what does it take to be moving? Because these are important not just for overseas mission work, but they're important for your mission work in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, in your family gatherings, wherever it is that God has called you to be his witness. To be still and to be moving. If you've got your Bibles there, I want you to open them up um, to Mark chapter 1. Um, verse 32 to 39. This is a, a fantastic um, passage as, as we start the Gospel of Mark, as we start this account of Jesus' life. Now, for context here, it was the Sabbath. So it was the holy day when people gathered in the synagogue and Jesus was in Capernaum, which was where he based most of his ministry. And he was just beginning his ministry. He'd been teaching in the synagogue earlier that day and he'd healed a demon-possessed person who was in that synagogue. And then in the afternoon, he went to Simon Peter's house. Simon's mother-in-law um, was pretty sick. She had this high fever. And in those days, we didn't have medicine and such, Panadol or anything else like what we do have today. And so a fever was a serious thing. And, and Jesus healed her of that fever. So this day was a pretty busy day for Jesus. But this is what we read then from verse 32 of Mark chapter 1. We read this. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving Mark chapter 1 is a, is a wonderful chapter, and I encourage you, if, if you haven't read it for a while, go home this afternoon and just read what happens in this first chapter of Mark's gospel. See, it's a, it's a wonderful demonstration of Jesus' authority. 
see, Jesus commissions, or God commissions Jesus with authority at his baptism. We see Jesus proclaiming the gospel in the synagogue with authority. We see Jesus calling his disciples to drop their nets and follow him, and he called them with authority. We see Jesus healing, casting out demons with authority. With authority, he was healing people. This is a pretty awe-inspiring beginning to his mission. Authority. 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 This is someone like the parents of the Spirit. Who was this man who they thought they knew but had a new spread about Jesus very quickly, like a wildfire, because people had never seen him. And so people gathered. They came from far and wide that evening to be healed, and they brought everyone who was sick, who was infirm, who was unclean, to Jesus' door because they had heard of his authority. And Jesus obliged them with authority and, and healed so many of them. Now, many of these people who were gathered that night, no doubt, no doubt had been in the synagogue earlier that Sabbath, and had heard Jesus teaching the gospel with authority. They'd, they'd witnessed the power of Jesus as he cast out demon possessed or uh, demons from, from a man when, when he restored people, when he cleansed people. Jesus had been busy that day. And that was okay, because Jesus knew that his, his mission actually required him to be busy. His task was an important one. This was all evidence that the kingdom of God had arrived. The kingdom of God had come in a new way. But that didn't mean that he was busy all the time. This Sabbath was an incredibly busy day. But Jesus knew that if he was going to sustain his ministry, he actually needed to take And so we read next in Mark, um, in this gospel, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that the next morning, before everyone else woke up, Jesus woke up. It was before the sun had come up, and he slipped away into a solitary place. Now, I don't know where he went. He may have gone up onto a roof of one of the houses, because they had flat roofs in those days. So he might have gone up onto a roof somewhere. He may have sort of just gone outside of town and sat beside a creek, or maybe he'd wandered down to the lake. I don't know where he went, and no one else did either. And that was a problem. Because when Peter, uh, or Simon, woke up and the other disciples, they looked around and wondered, where's Jesus? You see, Jesus knew if he was going to be effective in his missional work, he actually needed to spend time with his We see it regularly throughout the Gospels that Jesus developed this habit of spending time with God, retreating to some quiet place so he could have some alone time with his Father. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that he often did this um, to spend time talking to God, or, or we would say praying to God, if you want to use that term. 
Sometimes he, 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 he spent all night alone with his See, if Jesus' mission was about proclaiming good news about reconciliation with God, why was he taking time out in his mind, not doing activity? It's a strange thing to do, isn't it? If, if what you're called to do is actually to make a difference in people's lives, to, to make an impact, to preach the gospel, to tell them the truth, why is he taking time out? What is that all about? And the only thing we can really understand is that stillness has some benefit. Prayer has some benefit. If I was to ask you again, this is not a rhetorical question, so I want you to respond to that. Um, what is the benefit of stillness in God? What's the benefit of going to God in prayer? So someone want to throw some ideas? What do you think is the benefit? Getting a different perspective, right? Getting recharged. Vision. Getting close to God. Getting to know Him a bit more. Guidance. Communication. Staying on the path. There's a whole heap of benefits if we stop to think about it, isn't it? I want to look at just two really briefly this morning. The first thing that I want to say is that stillness with God. Did you know that you're special to God? Do you know that He loves you incredibly? When we spend time with God, the Creator of the universe, He has the opportunity to actually bring encouragement to our Because we all go through tough times, don't we? There's always things in our life that we struggle with. We have doubts, we have fears, we have anxiety. All manner of things. And God, when we spend time with Him, can actually bring encouragement to us. And He loves to encourage us by recalling into our minds the promises of His Word, revealing to us how special we are to Him. Listen to some words out of Isaiah. These were written to Israel who were having a, a bit of a tough time. It says, All who rage against you will surely be those who oppose you will be as nothing in Though you search for your enemies, you won't find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing in For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Is that encouraging words? Encouraging words to Israel who their backs against the field, were facing off against enemies all around the world. God knows exactly the situations that we find ourselves in also, week to week, day to day. And He can breathe words of encouragement into our lives if we only stop long enough to listen. Jesus needed encouragement from His heavenly Father. That God was pleased with him. That God was equipping him. That God was fighting for him. And so he regularly spent time in stillness with his There's one benefit, a very simple benefit 
of spending time with God. Another one that I want to talk very briefly about is that time spent with God actually gives God a chance to redirect us, to empower us for our mission or calling. Before choosing his disciples, Jesus spent a whole night on a mountainside with his Father God. What's he talking about? I'm suspecting it was getting used to know who, who should I choose? Matthew? The tax collector? Honestly? Really? Okay. I don't, I don't know what went on in that conversation that night, but Jesus was seeking direction. It was Peter. Um, when he was alone with God in the stillness of night, that he received that vision of the sheep coming down out of heaven, full of unclean animals. And that changed the whole perspective of mission in the early church, that it could go to Gentiles. Paul received a vision in the quietness of night, presumably again as he was spending time waiting on God, a vision of a man from Macedonia, asking him to come and tell them the gospel. Jesus spent a whole night in the garden, or a night in the garden, just before he willingly went to the cross, hearing God's instruction, receiving God's empowering for the next step, the task that he made. So when we, when we spend time quietly with God, we often hear his voice clearer as he directs us, as he instructs us. He can show us where he wants us to minister, who he wants us to witness to. He can show us where the ground has been actually prepared such that it's ready to receive the seeds of the gospel. If only we spend time listening to God, I think we'd get better in His mission because we would be more in touch with what He wanted to give us our time. So there's two quick little benefits seeking encouragement and receiving direction and instructions. We could go on and talk about a whole heap of other things that, that prayer actually breaks from that. We could talk about the fact that, that prayer opens up opportunities and frees God to work and people pass on. There's a whole heap of things we could pray about there or talk about there, isn't it? But prayer is essential for mission work. So it's important for us to be still come before God. Let him speak into our lives as we speak out to him. Stillness. Incredibly important. Unfortunately, many people don't spend time with God because they get out of it. Some of us who are um, task oriented just wanting to be active, um, find it really hard um, to stop and spend time with God. We prefer to just be active doing, doing, doing. But when we don't include God, we set it for second best. Do you realize that? Because when I don't stop as a task-oriented person and include God in the things that I'm doing, I'm just relying upon my own strength, my own abilities, my own wisdom. I'm not inviting God to bring His resources, His strength, His giftings, His empowerment, His wisdom. I'm just relying upon me. Now, who would you prefer to have sitting at your table? Me with all of the things that I can bring? Or God with all the things that He can bring? When we don't 
spend time with God, we actually limit God's capacity to minister in and through us because we're just relying upon our own limited capacity. For other people, the stresses of life, the anxieties, the worries of life often paralyze them. We get caught up in our own worries instead of uh, bringing them to God, who, who is actually the one who can actually deal with the concerns of life in our own heart. Remember Jesus' teaching? Don't worry about the things of this world. The food, what you're going to wear, the clothing, your shelter, your security. Don't worry about those things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first me and my purposes, and all of these other things will be added to you. They'll come. They'll be dealt with if you pursue me first. Spending time with God in stillness. Without stillness, there's no encouragement in life. There's no direction in life. There's no strength or energy to continue the mission of God. Instead, our life continues to be consumed by our worries and our concerns. So Jesus had to he was strong in his mission because he spent time being still with himself. We're going to be effective in our mission when we be still. It's just like a game of what's the time Mr. Wolf requires stillness and movement. Our mission of calling needs those two things. And Jesus was really good at motion also. He had to be to be effective in his mission because it required him to move and to do things. Remember, his goal was to take the gospel to people of Israel to, to the world. And that meant he needed to build a team of committed people, disciples. His activity, though, was informed by his stillness. God directed him and his actions out of the stillness, out of what he had been speaking to his father about. So in our passage today, we read that when the sun came up, Simon and Andrew and James and John, they discovered that Jesus was missing, and they went on a bit of a, a hunt. This was not what's time, Mr. Wolf. This is more like treasure hunt. <laughs> Where's Jesus? Um, when they finally found him, they explained, and I think it was probably in, with a note of frustration, they said to him, everyone's been looking for you. Where have you been? I reckon it's something like that. And Jesus does something really strange here. Because Jesus responds to them, he says, well, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Hang on a minute, Jesus. Didn't you just hear us? There's a crowd waiting for you back in Capernaum. Um, there's more that need to be healed. Um, and there's more demons to drive out. They've been causing havoc. Uh, you know, just like last night, there's more work to do. You're needed back in Capernaum. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's, let's move on. Let's go elsewhere to people who, 
who still haven't heard the gospel, but who need to. And so we read at the end of that little bit that I read out that Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, the whole region, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. To me, this is a little bit of a troubling aspect of, of Jesus' ministry. Because why didn't Jesus stay behind and do ministry there at the I mean, people were coming to Capernaum. They'd heard about him and they were traveling in from other villages. Wouldn't it have been more effective, more efficient than just to stay there? People come to him and he do his business, heal, preach, all the rest of that there. I mean, there was demand. There was a ready source of people who wanted to receive help from Jesus. Didn't he care for them? Yeah, of course he did. But healing people of physical ailments wasn't his mission, was it? That's not what he was sent to this earth to do. Now, it was part of it, it was encompassed within the, the greater missional work that Jesus was doing. But, but if it was just healing people and passing out demons, Jesus could have set up a health clinic, called a whole heap of doctors. And trained them in spiritual warfare and casting out demons and left them there with this fantastic opportunity in Capernaum. And everyone from around the world would have just left Capernaum. But that's not what he was called to do, was it? That's not what he came to this earth for. Physical healing was a bonus of the kingdom of God being established, but it wasn't the essence of it. Then we could say, shouldn't he have stayed there for a little bit longer? Earned the opportunity to witness to these people, build relationships with them so that they would all repent and all be saved because he left Capernaum without some repenting and being saved. And that sounds like a reasonable strategy too. That sounds a little bit like some of our strategies that we just keep I'm chipping away, keep working in a place, keep, 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 keep going until everyone hears the gospel and everyone repents. That's a good goal, isn't it? But why didn't Jesus do that? See, Jesus' strategy, I think, was a little bit different. His mission was that everyone had the opportunity to hear. Not that he just stay in one place with a single group of people until they all repented and came And so as he was still before God, God gave him his mountain and he said, go and teach the gospel about the gospel. That other people would have the chance to hear of the kingdom of God. Now, now I want you just to look here and, and just listen and hear me very carefully. I'm not telling you here this morning to give up on your long-term non-Christian friends. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to abandon your family members who don't know Jesus Christ and just leave them and move on to someone else. That's not what I'm saying. But by the same token, what I am saying is that I don't think Jesus is pleased with us when we use our non-Christian friends or our family members 
as an excuse not to take the gospel to others around about who need to hear. See, sometimes we use the excuse that my brother, my sister, my child, my father, my next door neighbor doesn't know the gospel, and that's my mission field. That's it. I'm focused in on them, and that's all I can handle. That would be like Jesus saying, Capernaum is all that I can handle. There's still people here that don't know Jesus Christ, so I'm going to stay here and I'm going to just minister in this place until I wear them down and break them. See, Jesus had a different strategy. Jesus moved. And he moved so that different people could have the opportunity to hear the gospel. By all means, he came back to Capernaum. That wasn't the last time he visited Capernaum. He came back. Maybe it was two months, three months, two weeks. I don't know the, 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 the chronology there. But he did come back to Capernaum, but he didn't stay in Capernaum. He allowed God the opportunity to do God's work to break up the hard soil. But in the meantime, he went off and he looked for Philippines. You know, we've been tricked in Australia into believing that no one is interested in Christianity in 2020. That's what the media wants us to believe. And we see a lot of stuff like that on the media where Christianity has sort of been ridiculed and been pushed to the side and things like that. But that is just not true. It's not true. So sharing with you um, some of the stories that begin that. The social researcher Mark McCrindle takes, um, does regular um, research into the, the state of the Christian church and, and attitudes towards Christian faith in Australia. In 2021, this is one of his, his most recent studies, the temperature of spirituality in Australia. And in the report, um, Australia's changing spiritual climate is what it's called, um, they found out that two-thirds of Australians are likely to attend a church service either online or in person if they were personally invited to do that by a family member or a friend. Two-thirds were likely or, or um, slightly likely or above. So that's not a negative, that's a positive possibility that they will attend the church two-thirds. Now, the criteria there is that you've actually got a Christian friend. Um, that's important. So the, the flip side of the coin there that I need to ask you, have you got non-Christian friends that you could invite? Because if you do, two-thirds of them are likely to actually accept the invitation to come to church or to watch your church service online if you have One third are actually extremely or very likely to join you if you are. Very or extremely likely. They're eager. One third. They're pretty good strike rates. If you're a baseball player or a softball player, you'd be thrilled if you had a strike rate of a third or two thirds success, wouldn't you? Pretty good. You wouldn't strike out very often. But we've been conned into thinking that no one in Australia is interested in faith or Christianity. And it is not true. 
it is not true. As we are still before God, God has this habit of putting on our hearts and our minds the names, faces of people who He wants us to reach out to, who He wants us to invite, who He wants us to open up the doors of our Christian experience and invite them to come and experience Jesus. If people have heard the full gospel message, Jesus moved on. And we shouldn't be scared to do the same, to keep inviting people, friends, workmates, family members, just keep inviting people to come and hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And we can trust God's Holy Spirit to take the gospel seed that they might hear if they come in here one Sunday Wonderful to hear about um, Lisa's parking lot. I've heard that story from Jason um, at, at Gateway. Wonderful story of, of salvation. You're never too old to find Jesus gospel. Jesus often explained his his mission using agricultural analogies, didn't he? There's that story about sowing seed on different types of soil. The seed is the gospel. The sower um, spreads the, the gospel seed around and the different soils represent different states of people's hearts as they hear. And various people have different responses to the gospel, don't they? Some are hard, but some are fertile and receptive. The thing about that story that I love is that we have no control at all over how someone responds to the gospel. We've got no control whether they are a rocky soil or a hard soil or a pathway. That's between them and God. But I think a lot of us get confused about our role in missions. We feel as though somehow we're actually responsible for making another person receptive to the gospel. In farming, a farmer would would spend weeks, months, even years preparing the soil to receive the, the seed. He'd break up the soil. He would take out all the rocks and throw them out of the field. Um, he would add nutrients and compost and manure to it to make it fertile. And when it was all ready, he'd call in the sowers and the sowers would come and spread the seed. You see, God is calling us not to be the farmer who prepares the soil. He's calling us to be the sower who sows the seed. Our task is not to be responsible for the state of a person's heart when they receive the gospel. Our task is just to spread the seed. And a good sower is a sower who spreads the seed widely and liberally. So that every bit of the ground has some seed on it and it's got enough seed. That's the role of a good sower. Preparing the, the soil is not our job. We can't prepare a person's heart. Only, only God can do that. Germinating that seed is not our job. Only God, by His Holy Spirit, can do that. We can't even convict a person of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Yet so many of us think that that's our job. 
We're simply called to be faithful in sowing the seed. And all these the soil preparation to God, lead the germination to God, lead the growing to God. Has anyone here ever felt discouraged that they haven't seen anyone respond to their witness? And maybe explain the gospel to someone and they haven't responded and you feel discouraged, isn't it? But that feeling comes from a misunderstanding of your role. Your role is not to reap the harvest. You might be invited into that sometimes, but your role is not to reap the harvest. Your, your role is to spread the seed. And we're called to proclaim the gospel and to move on to other pieces of ground that need some seed and to throw some seed there, sowing widely and liberally. Having said that, I still believe that God does prompt us to share the gospel with some that He, he now and then has prepared the seed on the ground. And we have the privilege of seeing them respond. But as Christ followers, as those walking alongside him and working alongside him, we need to get good at being still and moving. Being still and moving. In that game of what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Have you noticed the people who are best at that game actually alternate between being still and moving? You're never going to win that game if you're just being still. You're never going to win that game or be effective if you are just moving. You need to know when you need to be still and when you move. And you need to go from one to the other. Back to one. Without being still, we unplug from our pastors. We unplug from God who wants to speak to us, encouragement, who wants to actually guide us and direct us. But without movement, we become ineffective because the task that we're called to do is going to all the world and make disciples, spread the seed, and then disciple people as they respond. We never get to do that because we're stuck in our Two critical skills that are imperative for God. Let's work on them ourselves, but let's also encourage those around about us who are on mission, those ministering overseas on mission to do the same. Let's pray for them for times of stillness and oppression and then effective times of ministry and witness. Will you join with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to us so powerfully and so relevantly. Um, we thank you that, Lord, you have learned, Lord, what it means to minister um, effectively for your Father. Lord, you had an amazing relationship with your Father. Um, Lord, it just it powerfully directed everything else you did. It empowered you for ministry. Lord, I don't think we understand at all what the significance of that. Lord, we want to confess that we aren't good at being still before you. And we would pray that, Lord, you would teach us, make us dependent upon you, and teach us, Lord, that we desperately need 
spend time each day with him. The king who is reigning, the king who is on the throne, the king who can, Lord, make impactful uh, changes in our world, transformation through this world. At the same time, Lord, we pray that we would be good at moving. That, Lord, we would be sensitive enough to your spirit to see and Lord, where you are working, and go and join you there to share the gospel, to spread the seed, Lord, and to tell people, to invite people to come to, to church and to hear about the life-changing um, good news of Jesus Christ. Help us not to be scared and tied up with our worries or, or, or thinking that, Lord, we just need to be busy. Help us to get the right balance and to be good at the game, at the time is the work, and more importantly, what you call us being ministers, ambassadors, missionaries. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.